0: Recovery Elevator, episode 384. And you know what? At the end of the day, it feels great just to be like 100% true, honest version of you instead of you know, trying to kind of uh, hide it behind the curtain a little bit, which I felt I was doing in my first uh, sobriety stint. Yeah.
1: Uh, uh, like this? Yeah, that should work. Mix down. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Yo, yo. Mix down. Three, four. yo. Yo. Wiki, mix down. There we go. Wiki, wiki, mix down.
2: Guys in the house. I love it.
1: Wiki, wiki, mix down. There we go.
2: Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. On today's podcast, we've got Matt. He's 40 years old. He's from Edmonton, Canada. Go Oilers! He took his last drink on April 8th, 2019. All right, I want to take this moment to give a shout out to our CAF ARE chat hosts. Thank you so much for what you do and thank you for your service. Now, listeners, part of CAF ARE, which is our private online, unsearchable community, most of it takes place on Facebook, but we also have a bunch of other services as well. My favorite part of it is the chats. We've got a couple of them a day men's meeting, women's meeting, AA meetings as well. Many of them are themed, but really the point is. We are leveraging technology via Zoom. We get together and uh, it's my favorite part. It's the chat. So you get to move energy. You get to feel that you're not alone. You see other people are going through the same things. Um, So I want to say thank you to our chat hosts. And if you want to join this private community, think right now we're about 1,400 members of alcohol-free badasses who are A, sober or B, in the process or C, thinking about it or D, it's just a faint idea and you want to see what this cafe art thing is all about Link is in the show notes to join. Use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Link's in the show notes, like I said. Thank you, Liz. All right, before we get any further, let's hear from an awesome sponsor, Exact Nature.
3: We are thrilled to partner with Exact Nature because we are committed to the same goal, to help you quit drinking. Exact Nature's safe, all-natural CBD-based products can aid your alcohol-free journey. If you struggle with sleep, Cravings, mood swings, and high stress levels. Learn more about how Exact Nature can help you at exactnature.com. Recovery Elevator listeners will receive 20% off their orders by using the code RE20. That's RE20 at exactnature.com.
2: Okay, let's get started. Let's do what we came here to do. Sobriety is the path of least resistance. This is what Phil said in last week's interview in episode 383. And this line is solid gold. It resonates, it tracks, it makes sense to me. It's a tough one to fully accept, but let's unpack it. Another line that Phil said was moderation was miserable and drinking was killing me, which therefore led him to realize that not drinking or sobriety was the path to least resistance. All right, let's do this. Moderation. Yes, it does serve a purpose, but in the long run, it doesn't work. Hate to say it, sorry to say it, hate to break it to you, sorry to break it to you, but that's what I found, and I wish I was wrong on this one, listeners. Now, I've heard success stories with moderate drinking that make me say to myself, hmm, maybe for some it does work. But then a couple months later, or maybe a year later, I hear from the same person that it didn't end up working. However, moderation is a common stepping point into full abstinence because you slowly and painfully reach the conclusion that quitting entirely is the easiest way or the path of least resistance. You see that giving up one thing for everything is easier than piecing together when you're going to drink, how much you're going to drink, when you're going to stop, can you stop, are you going to try to stop, when do you have, if you have enough alcohol, who are you hiding it from, where to hide the bottles, where did you hide the bottles, and more of all that yuck. So I also had to go through a moderation phase where I tried so many ways to moderate many of them silly. I remember buying a bottle of hard alcohol, dumping half of it out into the drain, telling myself, this is all we're going to drink. And then driving back to the liquor store drunk a couple hours later, buying the same bottle again. Now, listeners, this went down a couple more times than I'd like to admit. So like Philip said last week, moderation was miserable. And that was my experience as well. It was exhausting. It was consuming And after all, I wasn't drinking the way I really wanted to drink. It was like going to Six Flags and riding half the rides. So I also realized the path of least resistance was to remove the idea of any alcohol in my life. So this might sound grim. I recognize this. I felt the same way when I first encountered this concept. But it's actually the opposite. I found a tremendous amount of energy was liberated when I gave up the idea of having a couple and then stopping, which never worked anyways. Ask yourself, have you ever had success moderately drinking in the long run? You can play the tape backward to see if this worked for you and play the tape forward to see if you think this will work for you. Most likely you've got a backlog of data that say, nope, it didn't work. And it probably won't work in the future. But Again, don't take my word for it. Another point with the moderation is the healing process. We quit drinking to heal to improve our lives. Do you want to moderately heal while you're moderately drinking or moderately be your most authentic self while you're moderately drinking? The two don't go together. Now, can you listen to this podcast while moderately drinking? Most definitely. Can you listen to this podcast while drinking at this very moment? For sure. Why not? If that's your entry point into the alcohol free world, no problem. But I can tell you, you're going to remember more of what I say and what the interviewee says if you're not drinking. Again, here's Philip's line from last week. Moderation was miserable and the drinking was killing me. Drinking was killing me as well. I want to keep this podcast positive, but this is real. With alcohol, it's a slow and painful decline. It was killing me too. It's a toxin. It's a poison. It's a flammable. It's a depressant. And for some fucked up reason, we are told to drink it in large quantities by society. I read a stat one time that says we are exposed to alcohol advertisements anywhere from 30 to 70 times per day. It's fucked up. And even though we're exposed to so much of this, the deeper you knows that with each hangover, you're punishing your body. It's slowly killing you. You know it. And for many, a medical professional has confirmed this. So the path of least resistance. Let's go a few more directions with this. We live in a world where we need resources to thrive, aka money. According to the Recovery Elevator Sobriety Tracker, in the 4,054,087 minutes I've gone without a drink, I've saved over $70,000. As I mentioned, I recently bought a house in Costa Rica, and that 70 grand didn't hurt. Without spending your paycheck on alcohol, when your car breaks or air conditioning stops working, it isn't a crisis. Here's another path of least resistance. Let's talk your professional life. Working hungover sucks. Now I've puked in my fair share of trash cans on the job myself. I've been told to go home because I smell like booze. When I quit drinking, work became more enjoyable, even fun at times. New opportunities present themselves, promotions, new jobs, and more. The path of least resistance. Legal. You won't get a DUI if you don't drive drunk. I'm fairly certain of that. Your chances of experiencing physical violence, domestic violence, and sexual assault are dramatically reduced when alcohol isn't present. The path of least resistance, your health. Your liver, arguably the second most important organ after your heart, gets a much-needed break. Your central nervous system gets a break. You can start properly digesting your food. You can enter into flow states where you lose track of time. The path of least resistance, sleep. The body will begin to produce again endogenous chemicals such as melatonin. And you'll begin to rest. You'll begin to sleep through the night, which equals less stress and better physical and mental health. The path of least resistance. 2,600 years ago, a Chinese spiritual teacher named Lao Tzu wrote a text called the Tao Te Ching, which is all about following the path of least resistance. Let's take water, for example. Water doesn't go uphill. It goes where there is the least amount of resistance, friction, or blockage. This spiritual text is a guide for living life, not to fight things. Quitting drinking is the path of least resistance where you're no longer fighting the flow of life. The path of least resistance, trash. You're putting less cans, bottles, plastic in your trash cans, which is less in the landfills, oceans, rivers, and streams. The path of least resistance, connection with other human beings. We are biologically wired for this. Feel-good chemicals, such as dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin, are released when we connect with other human beings. We think alcohol is a lubricant for connection, but it's actually the cockblock of connection. Listeners, I reworked that last line over and over, and that's the best that I could do. The path of least resistance. Spirituality. All major religions recognize the present moment as the key to liberation. We fuck this up with alcohol as in we miss the mark, which is the original definition of sin for Christianity. It's called Maya in Hinduism and Dukkha in Buddhism. On the flip side, alcohol prevents us from obtaining salvation in the West or enlightenment in the East. Let me summarize the last 66 words. The spiritual connection is severed when we're drinking. The path of least resistance, depression, which is the number one leading cause of disability in the United States. We all want to be happy, but it's hard to be happy while consuming a depressant. A very good depressant. The path of least resistance. Despite what the Bruno voice is telling you in your mind, the path of least resistance is saying goodbye to the booze. If you've tried all this on your own without success, give Cafe RE a try. Like I said, we got over 1,400 members who are collectively moving in one direction away from the booze. The path of least resistance for your family. Let's stop talking about us, ourselves, me, myself, and I for a second. Addiction is like a wrecking ball within families. If you quit drinking, your immediate family will all breathe a sigh of relief. The path of least resistance equals less reconciliation. The path of least resistance equals less damage control. The path of least resistance is more fun. The path of least resistance is more joy. The path of least resistance more sunsets, skittles, skateboarding, or whatever it is that puts vitality into your soul. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Chris and Matt.
3: Life can be overwhelming and many people are burned out without even knowing it. Some symptoms of burnout can include lack of motivation, fatigue, irritability, and more. For me, Recovery takes a lot of work, and when I try to do too much at once while also trying to just live my life, I step into the zone of burnout. When we get sober, we want to change many things about our lives, and that's inspiring. However, remember that slow and steady wins the race. If we come out of the gates too intensely, we may burn out. BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritize yourself. Talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life and how you can best navigate it. My therapist has been instrumental in reminding me that I can do it all, but I can't do it all at the same time. Having her perspective has allowed me to be more accountable to myself. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash elevator. That's betterhelp.com slash elevator.
1: Thank you, Paul, for the intro and in Recovery Elevator. Please help me welcome Matt. Matt, how the heck are you doing? I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks for having me on the show today. It's really good to have you, man. I appreciated the, the email that you sent, and I'm excited for you to have the chance to tell uh, to tell the audience your story. Uh, can you give listeners, uh, let listeners know how long you've been sober? Yeah,
0: so you know what? I just uh, just surpassed my three years sober. It was uh, April 8th,
1: 2019, so at the time of recording, uh, yeah, about three years and a month or so right now. Right on, man. Three years. Congrats. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Good job. How do you feel?
0: Oh, awesome, awesome! You know what? I this was kind of my my uh, shot at redemption. I had had a three year sobriety stint uh, back in 2012 to 2015. So this one was like, uh, you know, and then I, I, you know, I had some issues with moderation or attempts at moderation, I should say, in between uh, that stint and and this one. This one feels a lot more like it's it's going to take, like it it has taken. It's uh, I feel a lot more relaxed about it. I feel a lot more like forthcoming with it the first sobriety stint I had I was a lot more guarded of who I was telling you know so there was always this option I thought I had this like plan b that I could go back to it hence the attempts at moderation whereas this one I'm used to being straight out and open about it Uh, you know, I've gotten into like recovery coaching. So it's very much a part of my identity now. So it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's put on this extra layer of accountability, which has been great. And you know what, at the end of the day, it feels great just to be like a hundred percent true, honest version of you, instead of, you know, trying to kind of hide it behind the curtain a little bit, which I I felt I was doing in my first uh, sobriety stint. Yeah.
1: Well, that's amazing, dude. That's really good. Three years is three years. And I mean, three years twice is awesome. And, and I, I truly believe that that anytime like I don't think those first three years were were for nothing I believe you you probably learned a thing or two to be to be modest in that definitely Uh, did definitely did you bet but all right and before we before we get into the meat and potatoes can you tell us a little bit about yourself Uh, where you're from what you do for a living age family things like that and then most importantly what do you like to do for fun Yes. Yeah. Fun. Fun
0: is. Uh, fun is important. So yeah, I, I'm from uh, Prince George, British Columbia, Canada. It's uh, the northern capital of BC, which is uh, the westernmost province in in Canada. So it was definitely a blue collar town, about seventy thousand people. Yeah, it was, it was nice. It was a nice place to grow up. I uh, the uh, the house I grew up in was right off the backyard. I could literally hop my fence and be uh, be in the forest. So that was quite nice. I was uh, surrounded. A lot, spent a lot of time in nature as a kid, which was great. To answer the rest of your questions, I turned 40 years old for work. Currently, I just pivoted out of a job I've been doing for 23 years, assistant store manager at a local grocery store here in Western Canada. I'm now doing recovery coaching, actually. Oh, nice. So, And uh, I am engaged to my lovely fiance, Darcy. We've been together for 16 years now. And I, I play I play music for fun. I've been a musician since I was about 16 years old. And uh I also like, love to do uh to spend time out in nature, hiking, camping, uh outdoorsy type stuff. I, I got a couple of wicked dogs that I spend a lot of time with uh out in the outdoors as well.
1: Nice. What uh what do you do for music? Like guitar, singing? What's your Yeah, what's your, both actually, yeah.
0: Totally. Yeah. I'm a, I was a frontman in a band for for uh, for years now, about 15 years as well. Uh, so guitar sing and actually just got into sound therapy. So I'm just getting into, um, you know, kind of uh, finding a, a new path. I, I've, I feel like I've grown. I have still have some nostalgia attached to like the old 90s bands being a child of the 90s, like Pearl Jam and Nirvana and Rage Against the Machine and such. Uh, but, you know, as I've uh, gone on this healing journey, I'm finding that the music that I'm listening to can have a big influence on your mindset. So I'm kind of, I've kind of grown out of the, uh, the angry, <laughs> ang- angsty, you know, 20 year old uh, version of myself. So I'm finding that uh, a lot of the music I'm listening to is, you know, that like really instrumental, like the suffragio frequencies and sound therapy type stuff. So I was like, Hey, uh, I think I can, I can take a, you know, take a stab at it this myself. So I've, I, I end up getting a, uh, certification in sound therapy and i've been uh that wow. seems to be my new route in music as well which has been uh incredible
1: that's super cool man my wife more than once because i like the all those bands you listed like that was kind of my jam too and like nice. high school and adolescence and now my wife will listen to my spotify playlist and she's like what in the hell is this is this like do you remember those did you ever see like those pure moods infomercials yes like and yeah. she's like what you, is this pure moods are you what are you listening to and i'm like <laughs> Hey man, you just yeah. got to like relax, right? See? Okay. Yeah. He resonates
0: with you. That's good. I love it.
1: That's really cool, man. All right. Well, let's do, uh, let's do what we came here to do, Matt. Let's talk about yeah. your journey with alcohol. Let's just start with a little bit of your past. Where did your relationship with alcohol mm. start and and let's just kind of walk that road together.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity here. So I always go back to my earliest memories with alcohol and uh, you know the, those anchor those developmental memories. Uh, I remember I was about five years old, and so my dad was a big drinker, and uh, you know, and his his dad and and his dad's dad, and definitely on that side of the family, it's a Irish background, so very stoic and very you know kind of drink your problems away. You know, so my dad was uh, was always a heavy drinker, and my uncle Paul, so that was on my mom's side, my mom's brother. Whenever they would get together. Uh, there would just be like this excitement in the other room. And as a five-year-old, it was very intriguing. I was very curious as to why the volume got turned up. Their voices are, you know, but it didn't seem like they were they, they were still having fun. There was no like anger. I'm just like, this is interesting. So I go in there and check on them. They'd be, hey, Matt, come over and, you know, and have a sip of beer kind of thing, right? So that was my my earliest memory was walking in on them just to kind of see what the heck with this, you know, this, this loud noise in the other room was. And, you know, getting, a, getting a, a can of beer and like, here, have a sip. And, you know, doing the, the little bitter beer face kind of thing. And like, oh, I can't believe you guys would drink that. And, and they were laughing away. And so that was my earliest memory. I was like, okay, I had this association that it had this like excitement to it. Right. So it, it felt kind of intriguing, even at an early age, you know, I was always very hesitant about, uh, I was kind of a shy kid. So I was always very hesitant about getting into drugs or alcohol initially, So, but my, so my parents got divorced at age 13. So I'm going into high school where I grew up. High school was grade eight to 12. There was no middle school. So I hadn't hit my growth spurt yet. So I was this little kid, you know, uh, in the land of giants, as far as I knew, it's like these, you know, these teenagers that are basically full grown men. They got mustaches. They're like a foot and a half taller than me. And I'm just out of place. I'm shy to begin with. I got problems at home. I'm kind of, I had a sheltered existence up to that point. So it was like, really like a boom, like a quick reality check as far as, you know, okay, your life is going to change. You're going to grow up a lot quicker now mm-hmm. with the parents divorcing. And um, yeah, so I'm showing up to, to school with like this kind of this pain that I'm carrying uh, from the home life. And I'm sure it was just kind of like, what is this kid's deal? He's not talking to anybody. He looks like he's got a stunned look on his face. He's small. So, you know, I was getting bullied a bit. You know, so I made my way through that. As far as uh, I, I would cope with that by by doing like the, if you can't beat them, join them, like self depreciating humor, right, yeah. that kind of thing. So that was my way to kind of navigate that whole bullying thing. You know, I was into sports as well, but again, being a little bit smaller and, and uh, having a hard time expressing my emotions, so I get very emotional playing sports. So I found that wasn't the greatest thing for me. But as soon as I found music at age 15, my mom bought me this old acoustic guitar. Uh, that was a way for me to express myself in a more abstract kind of safe way if that makes sense mm-hmm. so i highly i've always recommended like music therapy or art therapy to people in recovery as well uh, just a, just a safer way to, to express yourself in uh you know in without it sometimes it's really hard to articulate your emotions right but if you can if you can figure it out a different way to express yeah. it it's great. So, and you know what, as soon as I got into music, uh, you know, I met some, some friends at at school that were, you know, you find the guy that wants to play drums and like, okay, you can do the, be the drummer. I'll be the guitar player. We'll find a bass player. You know, you kind of do the high school band thing. Mm -hmm. At that point you start reading like, you know, the Led Zeppelin biographies and it's like, everything's so glorified about the rock and roll lifestyle. So of course you want to replicate that. And so that's what we did. I have have an older brother, uh, two years older than me. And so he was you know it started off harmless enough kind of booting for us on the the weekends my my mom would be out you know so we'd have the the uh would be jamming in my unfinished basement which oh those were the days i'll tell you and uh you know and we'd have like whatever two six or a mickey of rum i think I, I started with uh bacardi limon was my big drink of choice oh. back then right yeah right, uh, indeed <laughs> <laughs> and uh so yeah we would do like these 25 minute versions of dazed and confused by led zeppelin where in that psychedelic breakdown in the middle we'd be pouring each other drinks. And even though the music's still quote unquote going and yeah, I was, just you know, that's, that's, that's how it started. And it was just like a fun way to kind of express yourself musically. And we're like, we're living the rock and roll lifestyle. Right. So, and for me, honestly, it was, uh, I think this is a fairly common theme for people uh, being a shy kid. Alcohol was like that person that came up to you and put your arm, puts your arm around you is like, okay, you don't have to be shy anymore. Like, you know, those girls that you're afraid to talk to you know what, I'll take care of that. Just have a couple of drinks. You'll be able to go talk to them. And so all of a sudden it was just like, oh, okay, perfect. So it was like this, it bridged this gap
1: for me, right? I've got my own version of those experiences, but like it it just hits home with me because that whether, I think whatever our experience, like I think everybody feels awkward in high school. It's just how did it, how does it manifest, you know, right? Totally. But those, you know, like the playing music and at that certain point in the song, like we just, I think, I think we, we create this romance around that experience and exactly what you said all that alcohol has a way of like, it, it works again, you know, again, caveat until it doesn't, but it, that any of that, those insecurities and that, you know, hurts that we might have, or, you know, like that feeling of not being accepted, it just kind of, it fades with that. And it, I don't know, it creates this, this kind of a hunger and makes us want more and, and in those initial experiences, you know, maybe there's nothing major happening, but we, I don't know. I think we, it makes us want it because like, well, if this is good, what could more look like? But.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, that, that was definitely the case. It's funny to think too. Like when you look back, it's like, it's, it's that and it's coupled with this idea of, um, you know, you're watching it, for example, my, my brother being two years older than me, you're kind of watching what those like back when you're 16, two years is like, that's a pretty big age gap. Right percentage wise, right? As far as how long you've been on uh, planet earth and uh, you're watching them. It's almost like that is like the rite of passage at a certain point, right? Growing up, especially in like the smaller towns, like where I grew up, it was like, yeah, it was. So when you're talking about more, absolutely. At a certain point, it's like, it's this rite of passage. You You have to have those nights where you're just like, you know, Yeah, just giving her and just having way too much. And then you it's almost like glorified the next day. You're kind of bragging about how much you had and, Mm -hmm. you know, strange behavior. Right. But at the time that is the path that's been sort of carved out for you in, 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 in a sense. Right. So yeah, that's kind of how it started. And like you say, yeah, it worked until it didn't, it was, it definitely worked for me though, at the beginning, I have to say, and, you know, I, I, I noticed pretty early on that there was like certain boundaries that I would set for myself and I would cross. I'd either walk up to them or cross them. I'll give you an example. So my mom uh, moved away when I was 17. So she had to take a job. Uh, she couldn't get any work. Uh, she went back to school uh, when she was 40. So, you know, back in 94, you know, I give her a lot of credit for it. Like divorce was very, I wouldn't say taboo, but it was very, a lot less common back then, shall mm-hmm. we say, than it is today. And then for her to go back to school at age 40, Again, very, uh, very uncommon for a you know, mature quote unquote student at that, at that time, especially in Prince George. So kudos to her for doing that. And then for her to come out the other side and not be able to find work, it uh, was, was very hard for her. And uh, she was able to find uh, she, so she uh, became a social worker. So she was able to find work uh, down in this place called a small little town called Ashcroft, which is about eight hours south of Prince George, where we're living. And we supported her, but in the meantime, the, uh, the situation being what it was, is we didn't want to move out of the house that I grew up in, and so we were allowed to stay, my brother and I, in the house we grew up in uh, for the rest of my uh, grade 12. So I had this... Uh, that very much became a party. house. like, we were good kids. I don't want to give the wrong impression, but at the same time, I was a 17 year old kid. Right. Yeah. So, and my brother was 19, you know, it's not like we thrashed the place or anything like that, but we, um, you know, we, if, yeah, it was like, Holy crap. I, I I, have this opportunity to live in a house without a, a parent at 17. So I started uh, that's when I started yeah, crossing some lines with, with things. And I, I remember I uh, uh, had my provincial exams coming up. And I'd usually have a buzz on pretty much every night by that point. And I would study and I heard that somebody say, well, if you're study buzzed or drunk, you got to write the exam drunk. So, so I took that logic. I get up at 9am, have a couple of drinks, go r- write my provincial exam. You know, I still had g- good grades. And that was the thing. There was never any like fallout, like palpable fallout for me. I would, I was always like, in my mind anyways a high performer i'd still always show up to work i was working five nights a week at that point i was still getting on the honor roll at school i was playing in a band right i was still doing some sports on the side so to me i was like uh it's this is not a problem like sure i'm it's irregular uh from the rest of my friends i'm drinking more than they are but Mm -hmm. i didn't view anything as a problem at that point right so yeah that was uh that was the teenage years up to that point
1: yeah i think we're especially yeah when we're young we're 10 foot tall and bulletproof and yeah and if we're not seeing any you know you know as you said those palpable consequences then then how could how could this be an issue right because totally nothing's going wrong like even if even if my behavior is askew from from what might be normal among my peers it's you know maybe i'm just special because i can handle it better right right Right, exactly. Yeah, it's funny, and it, there is like you're, yeah, you're
0: kind of coming to terms with your own ego at that point, right? Mm-hmm. You're developing this ego, this persona. You're you're trying different things on, so and that was definitely part of it. That with like the uh, the the tormented artist, right? And yeah. and the uh, you know like I'm dealing with my feelings from like my you know the, the my parents divorcing and and so forth, right? So there was a lot of that in there, and you know, I didn't realize the long term effect that that would have as far as like avoiding addressing my emotions and we will get into that but you know as we get into my 20s by the time we moved out to as soon as i could get out of prince george i did i know i was mentioning like it was a great place to grow up but you know it's it's i just wanted to get into a bigger center there's more to do Uh, obviously i I had dreams of becoming a a rock star so you get into a bigger center to put more venues more people Mm -hmm. to hear you so forth so uh, yeah we all moved out to um to uh calgary initially and moved up to edmonton been here for about 20 plus years now and uh, yeah, those early twenties, it was just like a, like a perfect storm of opportunity to to continue drinking a lot. So when you can move to Alberta, like I swear, it's like every street corner there's like a, a liquor store, and uh, it was cheaper because it doesn't have like the PST. It's like a, a less sales tax out here, substantially less than BC. And every liquor store seems to be open till two a.m. <laughs> so you know, by that time, I was like, oh yeah, let's do this. You know, so. Um, You know, by that time I was like working hard, playing hard. I just having a hard time being wrapping my head around being like a, you know, very small, uh, small fish in a big pond, so to speak of a big city. You know, I felt very like, you know, I had to rebuild myself. I didn't really know who I was quite yet. So, the answer before, as we kind of addressed, was was always uh, turning to alcohol was going to help me, you know, prop me up and and take me to the places that I couldn't go myself, quote unquote. Uh, and that's kind of yeah, that's definitely where it started turning on me because you know my relationships uh, started getting strained a bit because I was definitely over over uh, over indulging. Often, um, I was starting to get a little bit of an edge to myself. Right, I was no longer just the happy. Uh, Happy go lucky, drunk. I was starting to kind of get a bit of a chip on my shoulder, which is a, a bad combination. Let's face it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, chip on your shoulder with uh, with some alcohol, not not a good look. And you know, it uh, it continued on like that. And again, this is uh, I would say like probably about like twenty five ish is when I started getting this background you know voices in my head of like you you, you got to pull this back like you you're going into a nosedive here and uh yeah that would be like often in a morning when i'd wake up hung really hung over and be like okay like all right what are you, what are you gonna do about this you can't yeah. keep going on like this so that's where it kind of started was was in that that stage and i remember getting really depressed because i had a, a long-term girlfriend of five years uh from like 20 to 25 and yeah i don't know how it was for for you or the listeners but uh, that first big breakup is like so incredibly painful and hard to get over. And I was just like, I thought my life was over. I'm like, I'm never going to find another person like this. And, you know, even though it's sort of a mutual thing and we kind of grown apart, I was just like, ah, oh, what have I done? And, you know, my dad really loved her. And he's like kind of getting on me about like, you know, uh, the relationship coming to an end. And so there's a lot surrounding that. And I got, that was, the I think the one and only time, well, one, one other time, but like that specific time that I was like really in the dumps. And the drinking elevated in order to try and counteract that, but it just yeah. made it much much worse so that was a that was a, a like a, a moment not a, not a rock bottom moment, but it was like a moment where I'm like, okay things are starting the you know the wheel's starting to turn a bit here for sure
1: yeah i think I think we we all have those <clears throat> those markers along the way those marker in- yeah incidents that have you know maybe there's a night or a series of nights that that you know maybe whether we're trying to get over something emotional like like a breakup or or a celebration i mean really it could be it could be anything but we all have those those particular things where it's like holy smokes like how did this how did this get there you know it, you had mentioned that that internally you know around 25 you were starting to feel that from yourself like hey wait a minute like oh maybe this is maybe this is too much were you getting any any sort of feedback from your from your peers or your family that it, it, with that same sort of message?
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, in that, in, basically, from like twenty to twenty five, there was some intermittent uh, concern from my brother and my mom specifically. And um, yeah, you know what? I was usually greeted with like I kind of. I don't know. I just sort of fed into my whole like uh, feeling of rebellion. And, you know, yeah, it's, uh. it's sad to say, right. Because it's uh, but uh, you know, often as often the case, and especially in my case, it's like anytime somebody would point it out or put pressure, as soon as I heard, like my doctor said, I had to start, stop drinking. I go buy a six pack right after it's like change comes from within. It did for me. Uh, and it had to be the right time. And it had to, it had to be, I had to get disturbed enough to change so yeah for sure but to answer your question yeah there was definitely some intermittent uh you know just like hey like my mom would grab me by the shoulders every now and then go hey is this are you are you doing okay like is this you know, a problem and i always go no no it's it's all good trust me right so yeah there was definitely some of that not so much the peers the peers were were like right there with me i mean for yeah. the most part right <laughs> so you know that's that's just kind of how she goes uh, or how it went for me anyways yeah so and then what happened is i i got together with uh you know my my current fiance now Darcy so we first got together so that was like my relationship coming off of this so kind of got my uh, legs back under me and and kind of got you know got over the, the the uh the initial breakup with uh my first girlfriend and yeah we were big time partiers i was great i was like initially i'm like oh great now i can party again it'll be fun again because it was mad it was getting kind of depressing there for a bit right and so and initially it started like that and um, and we got along really well that we didn't have like the weird drunken fights that would happen with my other girlfriend. I was like, oh, this is great. But, uh, you know, I, I ended up putting myself in the hospital for acute pancreatitis oh. from this like really bad binge that we'd gone on. And I was in the hospital for like three days and mm. anybody that's had it, it's like very, very painful. And, uh, they didn't know what it was at first. So it took a while before I could get any kind of like pain, uh, pain medication for it. Uh, so it was like a, a pretty long haul of just like waiting on a hospital bed, them running a few tests, me still waiting. And I could, I just couldn't get comfortable and really, really just nagging, nagging pain for, I would say I yeah, good four or six hours. It felt like forever. It felt like much longer than that until they finally figured out what it was. And then they, you know, start, I think it was like two or three uh, IV bags to get me rehydrated. And yeah, I was, like I say I was in there about three days. And I remember just looking up at the ceiling and just going thank you. Like, this is it. This is the wake up call I need. I will mm. never drink again. You know, like, wow, I'm just lucky to be alive, blah, 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 so forth. Right. And um, yeah. And this is, this was a turning point. You talk about markers. This was a turning point for me. So when I got out and it's like the sauna effect, you know, you leave the hotel or sorry, the, the hospital and uh, you know, and then you're out and then your immediate, your, your brain, your, the, the addict brain comes back online. And it goes, okay, well, so what do you, I'm like, hold on, no, 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 like I'm not, I'm done drinking. And then all of a sudden there's like, well, let's talk about this. You know, the, the, Mm -hmm. the addiction person is like, that was rye that did that to you. That was the dark stuff. If you stick to like clear, I was like, if you stick to vodka, you should be fine. And to go one step further, if you stick to beer, you won't have to worry about this again. I was like, it's a good point nobody ever has problems with beer. Yes. (laughs) So logic, right. So with the the Homer Simpson logic, I call it. Yeah. And, uh, and then within 24 hours I had a beer in my hand and Darcy was just like, what are you doing? And I'm like, yeah, I got it. I got this. Those are my three most evil words, my ego driven words, or I got this. And yeah, so that was it. So that was the first time I had, I had taken that energy and just kind of reshaped it and repackaged it and then tried again. So, and that's a, that's a recurring theme for me. So it was like, yeah, that that's definitely what it was. You know, fast forward a couple more years, Darcy and I ended up having a, uh, some time apart just because we'd gotten together pretty young and there was a lot of substances involved in our relationship. So we, uh, we took a, a, some time apart and um, yeah, that's when I really just, again, kind of went, things got dark. Um, I ended up falling down a set of stairs at this like Grey Cup party that's like which was like the Super Bowl of Canada I guess, okay. uh, fo- football and it's uh, yeah I I um, I, uh, I decided I was going to take up smoking cigarettes at this party after I hadn't smoked in a while and uh, I got that huge head rush after that first cigarette that when you haven't had one in a while I was like ah I'm just going to go downstairs guys so I'll, I'll I'll come back up in a bit and I I went downstairs all right I went downstairs head first. And uh, it was like concrete floor and whacked my noodle pretty good. Blood everywhere. <laughs> I needed some stitches in my head. I remember just coming to and everybody was surrounding me. I was already standing. I was like, oh, it's okay, guys. It's okay. And it was like this out-of-body experience. I'm like, what's okay? I was like, had to catch up with what was going on. <laughs> Meanwhile, my reaction was like, no, it's, I'm fine. And I got blood on my face and all this. And it's just, um, you know, and I, you know, continuing to drink uh, with a, this pretty bad concussion was not a good scene you know, uh, showing up to work really not in good shape. Uh, you know, and then that, that spring, I still did that for another three months where just, it was just not good. I just got promoted at work. Like it was, it was not a good scene. Um, and that was where I was like, okay, I felt like there was some, some demons or some hounds on my heels at that point. I'm like, uh, yeah, I think my number is going to get called here. Something is going to happen here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, that's when I, I put my hand up and, uh, I just said, I, I can I get some time off work? Um, you know, I took, I took five weeks off, unfortunately, the first two of the five weeks, uh, ended up being like a bender. And honestly, dude, like I had, um, that was kind of where I had that crossroads moment. I'm like, I can either keep doing this because I got some money tucked away. I can just go on a huge bender and just, just that's it. Or I can work on this and I can, I can change. So I remember, um, I have a, a good friend of mine, Brent, who had gone through some NA and AA meetings. And I reached out to him. I said, you know what? Can you take me to one of these? Because I, I, I just don't have the, have it in me to get to one of these myself. He's like, yeah, absolutely. So we went. I got to the parking lot. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm good, man. I, I, I'm cured. I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> he's like, and he was he's just such a jovial guy. And he was in a really good spot in his life. He had sobered right up. And and, and he just looked down at me and smiled. He's like, oh, it's, it's all good. Let's go in together. Uh, okay, let's do this. And we went in there. And he was like a quasi celebrity. Everybody's high fiving him. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, wow, this is not at all what I was expecting, and I, I'm like, this is cool, actually. Okay, I, I can get, I can dig this. And we sat down, and Chris, I had this like this profound moment. Like as soon as the guy, I don't even remember what the guy was saying, but just like the opening phrase or whatever he's reading on the book, I could literally feel like I hold my stress in my neck and and shoulder region. I could literally feel, it felt like there was somebody on my shoulders that just got like raised off. Yeah, And I started kind of tearing up and like, I I didn't really know what was going on, but it was like this very profound, emotional, spiritual shift that just instantly shifted inside me. And that's what propelled me for the next, you know, three years, three months. Uh, Of course I kept going to some meetings, but like that, moment was one of the most profound moments in my life where it literally just aligned something inside being it was just like okay you're different now and i walked yeah. out of there and i i literally didn't uh didn't touch a drink for like over three years uh, i think on the, the back of that meeting quite frankly
1: i think there's something so powerful about being in a room with people who who are open you know for me like it, you describing that moment i can think of that as like uh, I went and saw, like on my day, like the last day I drank, I went and saw a doctor and a pastor. I went and saw a bunch of people, but the the moment I was sitting in a in the office with an addiction counselor, and she told me, she's like, you know, hey, I'm a meth, ad-, you know, recovering meth addict, and I'm like, okay, so you're messed up too. Here's my, <laughs> here's all my problems. There was just something. It was exact. You know, you described it perfectly. It's, it's weight off our shoulders, and it. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was able to like where I'd been like holding my breath for so long, I was able to just take this sigh and it's, and there's just, you know, I don't, I don't think that that, that like just that declaration in and of itself is, is going to sustain, is going to sustain sobriety (laughs) or recovery, but it's, but it's just, it's like the opening of a door. Like, okay, I've said it and I've said it to someone else or or I've been around people who are saying it and it's, and, and you can see that there's like a hope. Mm. Hundred percent. Yeah, very well said. There's something about absolutely. And the
0: the one thing that I really like about, you know, this the support of having a community or like a meeting, or like in your case, the therapist, it's like as soon as you know that, this persona or this need to kind of filter through an ego can can drop. And then you can have this authentic conversation. And oftentimes it will relieve for example, like a very shame. I've had so many instances where I have this like shameful kind of thing that is sort of like, yeah, and I did this. And then whoever I say in the support group too is like, that was like my Tuesday morning. Like I can one up you. And then all of a sudden the shame converts into this like laughter and you have yeah. this release of something that you've been hiding or like really like shamed about for like, it's been trolling you for years and it has somewhere to go and it goes somewhere and you got to you know, laugh or cry. Obviously laughing is hey, there's nothing wrong with crying. It's like yeah. an emotional release. Right. But like that turn something that's like, you've been like shameful and hiding for like 10 years. And then somebody's mm-hmm. just like, Oh that, that was like my everyday, you know, every Tuesday, That you know, and then to be able to laugh about it, man, it's just something so profound about that, isn't it?
1: Yeah, there's just, and I think he's, I think you nailed it, man, that, that authentic, you know, those authentic mm. conversations we, you know, not that I, not that I never had an authentic conversation before recovery or with someone who's not in recovery, but there was, I was guarding so much of myself trying to. Yeah. Trying to shield others from what I was doing, and try to trying to protect that. You know, uh, I've talked about this before. You know, I had this resume of who I am as a person. I'm, you Mm. know, I've done this and I've done this and I'm doing this. And and this is look at this is who I am. This is who I am. This is who I am. And I would shove that in people's faces because I had all this other shit that was so like dark and hidden. And Mm. and and yeah, and to be able to open up for for the first time, it's just it's it's a like a beautiful a beautiful release. Absolutely. And
0: the word authentic, like, it's a quick little story about that. One of my mentors we were talking about, I I like to bring up just the, because the word authentic gets, let's face it, gets thrown around quite a bit and be authentic and say your truth. And that's great. But it's like, okay, so what is authentic to you? Right. And one of my mentors just gave a context more of like the setting for which you can be authentic and he's like you have to feel safe there has to be a safety there i'm like bingo that's that really resonated with me because obviously you can have a different degree of like nuanced authenticity depending on like your values and such and your personality type but you have to have that safety so and that's what i as soon as i heard that i immediately went to like you know a support group or an aa meeting or online community sobriety community where there's that just initial like boom like you can drop into that because you are safe you can say whatever there's nothing that's going to be off limits here there's going to be somebody that's not only been through that they can like add on to it and then you know you have that that authentic back and forth so and yeah dude i really like what you're saying it's kind of like what when you were saying you have your resume and you kind of did like the uh, the hand motion towards the camera it's almost like that that magician thing of like Hey, look at this. Don't look over here. Look at this. Right. is kind of the mm-hmm. vibe I was getting from it, man. Yeah. That re- really uh, resonates with me too, for sure.
1: Yeah. That's cool that you had that moment. Um, and you said that, that, that led into three years. Let's talk about what that, let's talk about what that three years looked like and then leading back into some uh, attempts at moderation.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, so yeah, the three years was great. Um, you know, that first year, was the most challenging uh, because it was also most rewarding, I should say, uh, because it was like, you know, it's your first birthday sober, it's your first camping trip. I literally had not done anything in my adult life completely sober. I hadn't played a sober note of music. I'd always had a couple beers before I started practicing. I'd have, a, you know, a couple of hoots or whatever before I'd start practicing on my own time. I had never played but note one of music sober. And I always thought there was like this need to get a little bit buzzed be, because that would tap into like the feel part of it, right? I mm-hmm. couldn't have a guitar, my guitar solo, you know. There's like this strange idea that like it, when when artists sober up or actors sober up. They aren't as good as what they were when they're which is just such BS. And I think we're we're growing out of that as like a culture and as a society, right? But um, you know, I even hear like uh, guys like Eminem, like, oh he's sober. He was so much better when he was, you know, all you know, it's like such BS and yeah. so unfair, but that's a side note. Um, so that was what it is, like the first year of like redefining everything. It's it went by very quickly, but the same token, it went by very slowly at times. I remember the first time I went out camping. I was just like, man, just kind of, I want to buy myself and I'm just like, this is it. I'm just like, this is it. This I'm just, I bought this uh, one of those like VW camper vans. I'd always wanted one of those as a kid, Yeah. right. The, with the pop top and it was rad. And, and I remember just getting out there and I'm just like, okay, like this is normally where I just start crushing beers. And I'm like, mm. hmm, okay, what, what am I supposed to? Is this, is this kind of boring? <laughs> and then realizing, I'm like, no, this isn't, this is great. Like, it's just the volumes turned way down. Cause I'm not like trying to drink a flat in in the matter of three hours and then just starting a fire. Right. It's a, uh, it was just so different. And it was uh, so yeah, getting through all the family events and getting through all the, just that first year under my belt uh, was huge. And uh, you know, all the, i i just felt like a completely different person and i was i was i started getting very much into like self-help books and you know podcasts Mm. and you know all that kind of stuff and really getting into a growth mindset and uh dude everything really picked up for me in those three years i started getting promotions at work uh my relationships were so much better my friendships were rekindled ones that i would kind of you know uh, avoid or hide from people or uh you know make bs excuses because i wanted to stay at home drinking I would be just much more present with people. And I still had that feeling. I was able to maintain that, that kind of that spiritual, that centered, rooted, grounded feeling that I got from that AA meeting just kind of followed me. I I truly felt like it was like this, you know, this guardian angel uh, almost that that stayed, that stuck with me through that first year. And um, I, I started kind of getting detached from that. I would say by like year two, two and a half. And I started kind of, having this idea that like something was missing this is when my ego started to kind of kind of come back in and right. uh and wanting to control and starting to kind of you know make commentary on instead of just allowing that's when I started to, tr- to start controlling again right. so to start micromanaging at little aspects of my life and it was such a gradual turn and, and switch and that's what led me to uh it was three years three months I went to uh my drummer's wedding I was a groomsman and it was one of those weddings where it was just like everything that was coming at you was was uh, was an alcoholic beverage, and I w- again I wasn't as protected th- with this stint of it. I only, in fact, I was still kind of hiding it. I would tell my very close friends that I was like, "Hey, I'm sober right now," uh, but I wasn't. I didn't tell the whole. I didn't advertise it, and uh, you know that that bit me in the butt. Uh, so it was like by the end of the night, I have the coffees come in. It's got Kahlua in it. I thought it was just a coffee. I'm like, what the hell? No matter what I do, it just keeps coming at me. I had a tequila shot. I'd like water the plant behind me, you know, just pretend I'm doing the shot. And then finally, at the end of the night, I had a shot of tequila and I grabbed a Corona and I was talking with my uh, bass player, Greg. And as he's talking, I just got that like familiar wave of like mm-hmm. the brain chemistry, you know, that happens when you have that. Uh, that and I was like, ooh, you know, I kind of missed this. And it was amazing how quickly I went back. I left the wedding and I was like, by the time I was driving home, I was like, you know, I felt like the, the old version of me that was back. I was like going through all like the alleys and like looking for liquor stores that were still open. And remember, like I had a voice in the back of my head going, wow that you went back so quick like i'm like no no it's just one night yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so you know that was that and i had this huge creative outburst the next morning i went out for this uh this beach beach holiday with uh my brother my mom that we always do every year and i wrote like 10 songs and uh, i had this huge creative and of course my attic brain was just like reawakened Mm -hmm. it was just like see you know, like it had this like collapsed <laughs> distinction of like creativity and, uh, and getting effed up basically. Right. Yeah. So, and I was like, yeah, maybe there, maybe that's, I had it all inside me. I just needed this, you know, these few drinks to get it going. Maybe I, maybe I do need this. And now that I've done, you know, three years of self growth and, you know, self development, I can do moderation. Yep. I got this right. The three words. And so I remember, dude, I went back and this is where, you know, the callback to what I said earlier in my story, where I started just repackaging it as best I could. So I came back to town and as soon as I came back, I'm like, hey, you know what? New ground rules. I can do this. So I'm going to buy, everybody's talking about this craft beer. So I'm going to start with craft beer. Instead of the lucky lager and the cheap, (laughs) cheap beer, I'm going to buy the more expensive stuff. So then I will drink less of it because I value money, right? So I, and then I'm like, and I'll buy the local stuff. So I'm supporting a local company, like just
1: repackaging it, right? right?
0: Right, right, <laughs> exactly. So make it feel better about myself. So that's what I would do. And then I'm like, okay and i'll keep it in you know room temperature i'll only have one in the you know and then before you know it i'm going to the closet where i have it at room temperature i'm just pulling them out of there drinking like warm beer yeah. and it's like wow no and then so and then so darcy and i start uh, attempting moderation together she'd actually been sober for a couple of years at that point too she got promoted everything was going well for us we were leveling up our relationships our jobs and all that and then we're like you know what would make this even better Let's try drinking again, right? It's yeah. just nonsense. So we did, and then we, uh, you know, we, um, we would, so we would then together as a couple, we would go, well, no alcohol in the house. Uh, only when we go out, before you know, it, we're going out five times a week, right? And just racking up these huge bills. Okay, well, no, that's not working either. Let's, how about only on weekends? Before you know it, every weekend is a long weekend, right? Yeah. And we're doing like Wednesday night to Monday night kind of thing. So I just ran that course and I remember there was one time it was pretty early into that like moderation attempt, you know, scenario that I had going on that um, it was like one of those like alone drinking times. And it was like one of those like two liters of cider, just something nasty. Right. And um, I remember it was one of these only times that I've actually had a voice in my head that was very loud because I have a lot, you know, lots of like peripheral, Hey, like things going on, but there was a very distinct voice. It was like, if you continue to do this, it will kill you. And I was like, Whoa, I'm like, wow, where did that come from? Like, it was a very distinct, like voice that piped up and definitely told me, I was like, Holy crap. And I kind of had like a, a a nervous, nervous breakdown about it. And I remember journaling about it and I'm like, Oh crap. And you know, and then whatever, I continued on with it, but I was like, that's okay. That's kind of more of a tap on the shoulder. Now that's kind of like a bit of a smack in the back of the head. Like there's, you know, these signs that happen, these again, markers. Right. So finally basically the spot that i came out on here on the other side was um my dad passed away on uh, a couple days before christmas 2018 Mm -hmm. age 66 uh, i just retired he'd been retired about a year and yeah he was still very much a heavy drinker uh you know always lived the rock and roll lifestyle took up smoking cigarettes again in retirement for some reason and uh yeah he he caught up with them and uh, i remember that being a pretty big wake-up call and, um, you know, that by that time was very heavily on my mind about just, I, so I'm like, okay, this is going to be a good spot to pull the plug on this year, but it continued. And, um, you know, until that spring and had a really this sloppy party weekend that really belonged back in my early twenties, if, if at all, right. Yeah. And I'm here, I'm by that point, 37 and it was just everything, like everything was out. You know, we had the, the hard drugs and, and the booze and the cigarettes and just everything. And the end of that weekend, I had to go back home for my dad's celebration of life. And I just remember not like, I remember waking up the morning, I had to drive back home. So at Prince George is eight hours west of Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And right in between Edmonton, almost to the kilometer is a Rocky Mountain town called Jasper. It's one of my favorite spots on earth and it's so beautiful. And so anyways, I'm, uh, I'm driving out there. And um, I'd had the last drink, my last beer. It was like the hair of the dog. I always saved that one beer for the morning, right? And yeah, I remember I got about halfway through it or whatever it was and dumped the rest out. I'm like, man, like I got to stop doing this. I'm going to my dad's thing. I'm about to meet a bunch of family I haven't seen in in forever. I mean, my my brother and my dad hadn't talked in 11 years, never reconciled by the time he passed away. So my brother's a little bit antsy about going there. Uh, You know, there's some anxiety, of course. And uh, you know he's as a result a little bit polarizing with that side of the family because they have their opinions on it as well. Mm-hmm. So I want to be there for him. We hadn't been uh, to back back, to, back home to Prince George in 20 years together, so it was wow. it was quite a big thing. And and I was just like I'm not in the right state of mind to do this. I did not set myself up for success in this case. And so anyway, so I, by the time I got to Jasper, beautiful, bright blues, you know, sunny day, mountains. And normally I'd just be like, so on top of the world and just be like, yes, this is a great way to pay tribute to my dad. But I felt the exact, the precise opposite. I felt dark. I felt helpless. I felt uh, like a complete failure, just everything. I remember grabbing my phone and just, I, I needed to get some of that energy moving. So I was just doing a voice recording of how I felt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I deleted it soon thereafter because it got very, very dark. Uh, it was good to get that energy moving though, you know, suicidal ideation, the whole thing. And it was at that point where I was like, okay, this is, again, this is this crossroads moment. What am I going to do here? And so I, I luckily, and I think with some help again, from like some spiritual help, I was able to switch gears very quickly. So the, the drive, the rest of the drive into Prince George, I started going, okay, so what are the facts? What am I, what can I control? What can I start doing here? So that was it. I, I did, uh, I decided I'm like, as a tribute to my father, a bit emotional uh, as a tribute to my father and his side of the family, I'm going to, it stops with me. Like there's a generations of, of drinking. Yeah. It literally killed my dad. I'm going to pay tribute to him. So what better time to just say no more, I'm going to stop it right here. It stops with me. And uh, you know, and then from there, it was like, you know, I got, I got to, to Prince George, picked my brother up from the airport, and it was just this beautiful time. Like we got, uh, you know, my brother's very stoic and and keeps his emotions very much to himself. And uh, yeah, sorry, one sec. Ugh.
1: Be good, man.
0: <sighs> yeah, I just remember him saying at the end of the trip, he's like, you know, thanks for being there for me. And, you know, for me, that was huge. Like it did very rare that you get that out of him. So, you know, everything was was great, you know, walking around, uh, you know, the house, you know, go and see the house that we grew up in uh you know how, how much things had changed and uh yeah it kind of felt like a, it was like a Wes Anderson movie I think it's called the Darjeeling limited kind of felt like that where like they're uh, going to find their estranged father or something happened with them and kind of had the, like the dynamic like I'm Owen Wilson and he's uh think like Adrian Brody <laughs> kind of had that like feel in my head it just felt really cool uh to do so you know everything that happened out of that weekend just really fundamentally changed me I got to that point of that was so disturbed with my behavior uh, that that was the anchor. And then I coupled that with this, you know, reason outside of myself, that being the tribute to my dad and, yeah. and my family and the, just the, uh, the bloodline and everything, and then just kind of mashed those together. And that, that's exactly what I needed. I mean, I find that for me personally, and, and, you know, you hear a lot of these people's stories, like you need something that really gets you and disturbs you. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you're just going to keep justifying it to yourself. And you're going to keep going. So uh, you know, that's, that's what I did. I, 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 I combined those two things and um, it was instantaneous like that. I swear, like the old me came. Yeah, I should say the, not the old me because the old me technically is the drinker, the old sober me from the previous stint came back. I felt this like peace again. I yeah. felt this like genuine confidence again. Right. And yeah, since then, I've just been you know, in the last three years, just really going on this like healing journey. Um, I know like Paul talks about like ayahuasca, you guys do a little bit of plant medicine uh, talk here. And I just did a, a plant medicine retreat uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, for uh, five MEO DMT. And gosh, it was amazing uh, what it's what it's allowed. It's, like, it's, it's a safe spot. It's almost like a, a similar, um, I liken it to a similar uh, thing as like, a support group. It's a safe spot for you to bring up these these mm-hmm. troubling emotions and address them in a like a spot of unconditional love, right? That this uh, that this medicine provides. So that was a huge. That's basically what I've been doing. Like this last three years is identifying the patterns that at one point were working for me yeah. that I've outgrown, but are still trying to run because I haven't addressed them. They're subconscious programs, right? So really illuminating, okay, why am I doing this? Okay. And then keep asking, okay, well, why am I doing that? Right. And really getting to the bottom of it instead of a uh, dude, I, I, I'm, I imagine this will resonate with a lot of people, but I, I spend a lot of time distracting myself as a way of avoiding my emotions. So I spend a lot of time like okay if I feel like a tingly kind of loneliness whatever it may be in my stomach, but oh, time to hop on the computer, check some emails, like uh, yeah. grab the phone, grab the phone, right? It's all about the like, distracting as an as a measure of avoiding So I'm like literally just got kind of, like 40 years old, I'm like just figuring these patterns out now. And it's all good. And like before I would get hard on myself about that and then that would just push it down further. Now I'm like no, you're allowed to do that. Like Please come, come out of hiding. Like I really want all my feelings to come up so I can address them, have that unconditional love, uh, for myself that I did not ever give myself before. It was always very, very conditional. So that's, uh, that's very much, uh, you know, I've been working on the last three years and that's the key difference between sobriety one and sobriety two.
1: Yeah. You know, I just want to, first of all, I just want to thank you for sharing that, uh, the story about your father and and showing up for your brother. I think that's incredibly powerful, Matt. And thank you you know, huge kudos to you for, you know, stepping up to be that, like that chain breaker in your lineage. There's, mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's same with my family. There's a lot of beautiful things about me that are a result of who my family is. And there's also, there's a lot of like ugliness that mm-hmm. we've passed down from generation to generation. And, and, uh, what a blessing for us to be able to, to recognize like, Hey, there's some stuff I'm bringing with, but this ends with me. Like this, this stops with me. I think that's incredibly powerful. So huge kudos to you. Thank you. And you know, when you were talking about this, this current, uh, this three year stint that you're on now, which again, like huge congrats. Three years is is amazing. Thank you. And you use the word illuminating and I love that so much because I don't know that we're ever going to figure it all out. I don't, I, I doubt it. Somehow I, I doubt it. I hope to be on this journey of sobriety and recovery for a very long time, but I don't think I'm ever going to get all of it. Mm. But as long as I have a willingness, uh, I love that word illuminating because as, as long as I stay open and willing, mm. I think, you know, for me, that's a belief in my higher power, like a, whatever verbiage works for you, but I believe that my higher power is going to illuminate things like, hey, Chris, you ready? And it's time. This, this is, you know, whether it's something with my parents, something that happened to me as a kid, something, you know, my, you know, am I doing this distraction thing? Is there, is there Mm. other things for me to do? There's, I mean, there's always something and I, I don't have to try to grab all of that all Mm. at once because it's just, it's too overwhelming and it's, and it's too daunting, but to, to find some peace and, and be open and, you know, Hey, show me I'm willing. I'm open. Show me and bring people, you know, let me have people bring people into my life that are going to they're going to take me in that direction. Um, I think that's really cool.
0: Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, for sure. No, absolutely. That's um, yeah, that's the, the the different energy I have this time versus last time. I was kind of just scratching the surface. I still had very much uh, in that you know 2012 to 2015, very much the achiever energy, more of like the yang energy, the doer the cross mm-hmm. I needed a to-do list and I wanted to just kill those goals. I wanted to just scratch about it. something about scratching off a to-do list, right. What I wasn't doing enough of was the like what you're touching on, a little bit of like the allow. and that's what set that's what got me through the door initially like going to that first AA meeting was just okay. Just allow, allow this to happen, right? Don't control it. Don't let, again, it's just dropping the ego, the persona, the need to control and allow. And, you know, I forgot that along the way. And uh, I still, I still daily have to remind myself it's not all about, you know, getting from this point to that that point. You got to enjoy and allow the experience, the journey, like you mentioned, right? It's, and yeah, that's a constant reminder. And that's challenging because that is a lot more subtle, type of work that 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 more the yin work the the more uh allow the more stick with something the more Mm -hmm. you know the quiet the meditation like you know that kind of stuff and funny thing is is you know I was on a podcast I think last week and somebody asked me what was the key difference between those two the first sobriety and second one and of course there's lots but I was like okay what is the the main key one and what I identified it to be is that first one I still had this reckless kind of energy in me that needed to be s- struck and i felt that it was like okay do i need to join a fight club or like might <laughs> jump out of a plane like how do i get this adrenaline that i was i'm missing from from uh you know ripping it up before with with uh with with alcohol and honestly, it's like the opposite. I found it to be the opposite energy as opposed to like more of this doer and go out and like, you know, join a martial artist, somebody it's, it's actually the opposite. It's like mm-hmm. counterintuitive. It feels, but as soon as you do it, you're like, ah, I get this now. It's relieved that, that tight, reckless energy. It's finally just relaxed and dissolved and for through like meditation, uh, yin yoga specifically, right? Where you stay in a posture for three to five minutes and just allow uh, the plant medicine, breath work is huge, right? Journaling, these more relaxed things that I always had in my periphery that I always wanted to eventually grow into, you know, when I was younger, but I was too busy doing, playing in three bands and, you know, doing all this other stuff and trying to achieve my way into acceptance of myself and other people. And so it's just finding that other side of the yin yang. Right. And then, I'm, so I'm glad that you brought up the whole, like, yes, allow. And man, it feels, uh, it feels good just to like, even think, even verbalizing that is like relaxing my body. So yeah. yeah, it's uh it's, it's quite the thing, isn't it? Quite the journey. <laughs> That's
1: cool, man. I'm, I'm really, <clears throat> I'm just, I'm, I'm grateful for you to come on and and, and share this. Cause there's, I mean, we've got, Listeners with every type of experience we can, that you can imagine. And, you know, we've, we've met a lot of, a lot of people along the way who, who, who have slipped back into something again, some some of this verbiage I don't like, but whether, you know, Mm. whether they've relapsed or slipped or gone to moderation management, however you want to identify it. And, Mm -hmm. and if there's anybody listening now who, who thinks like, oh shit, you know, I'm done. Like you're not, you know, you're, you're you're back in it, man. And you're proof that, you know, you're one of many that's proof that, you know, Hey, like, we just got to find that we got to find that moment and, and take it and, and maybe don't wait for it, but like, just take it now, <laughs> take it now.
0: Yes. No, definitely. Good. Yeah. Good message. Good message. Yeah. That's um. yeah. It's interesting. It's, it's always, a, it's, it's a, it's a tricky one. I, I, I wonder how many people that, you know that listen to the show are you know kind of on that on the edge and i remember what it's like it, it took it take a while it takes a while to like form form that uh you know that path or how you think it's going to look for it in your head or you have these expectations but yeah to your point it's just you know you just got to do it you just take that first step and you know you'll be amazed how things unfold after that it's, uh, it's about, you know, dropping the expectations and it's about, um, you know, the, oh, well, what if this happens? Or what if, you know, this person doesn't like me? What, what are my family going to think? For me, it was you, almost entirely unanimously supportive. And they were just like, it was a breath of fresh air. It was just like, no, you I'm so happy that you're, you know, being honest about this. And I whatever you need, I will be there to support you. Uh, even some of the people that I thought would be disappointed were, oh hundred percent the opposite they were just like some of the more supportive people right and so a lot of these things that you can get in your own way about again like i love what you're saying just you just got to do it and when you do it it's it's just this amazing thing it's not always perfect but guess what life is not always perfect right your your life of drinking was not uh not perfect either right so it's uh i don't know <laughs> so there you go it's um but i'll tell you what's this one phrase i just i just saw it the other day i'll try and i, I might butcher it it's like okay so the quote yeah addiction is giving up everything for one thing where recovery is giving up one thing for everything
1: that's it man yeah what are we what are we really holding on to totally totally matt this time has absolutely screamed by so (laughs) totally yeah uh let's uh let's wrap this up man and head into the rapid fire round are you ready yeah, let's do it. All right, number one, what is your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking?
0: Ooh, honestly, uh, that I'd never be able to drink
1: again. <laughs> that makes sense, man. checks <laughs> out. Uh, what's a positive that you didn't expect in a life without alcohol?
0: Hmm. The the stillness, being being okay with the stillness. I I I thought I related more to chaos than I actually did.
1: I like that. What is your go-to alcohol-free drink? Ooh, yes! I've been waiting to answer this one. I love this question that you guys
0: ask. Uh, so I always go with the old Soda Stream with lots of ice and just some real, real lime juice and like a wedge, uh, wedge of lime as well.
1: Amazing! It's like my favorite drink of all time. I'm trying to convince my wife to let me have a. <laughs> that sounds very toddler-like. <laughs> Can I have a Soda Stream, Aim? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just... They are amazing. They are amazing. Maybe in the summer I can keep it in the garage. There you go. All right, I'm this is me. I'll, I'll find a way. Yes. Uh, yes. What is your What is your plan in sobriety moving forward, man? Ooh, yeah, yeah, that's a good one.
0: So I'm I'm all about the growth mindset now. So just continuing to do uh, to learn more about me and then to help others. I. Uh, I had a great quote from a mentor of mine that had mentioned, uh, it's, it's, you, you, remember 30% of what you hear, you remember 50% of when you write it down and you retain 80% when you teach it. So I want to get to that stage that I can then share everything that I've learned, because I've learned a lot of great stuff and then I can uh, turn it uh, towards other folks and help them.
1: I love it, man. Uh, and number five, what parting piece of guidance do you have to our listeners who are, who are either in recovery or thinking about quitting drinking? Ooh, yeah, this is a good one. Um, yeah, don't.
0: Uh, I hate to say it with a negation, but don't try to do it just with willpower, just with yourself. Uh, it's community. Um, there's many different things. There's there's usually four or five different things that, that you'll that you'll need along the way. Uh, I know a lot of people, myself included, I've tried white knuckling and willpower alone. Don't just try willpower alone, get yourself a community connection. It's been said on this show numerous times, the opposite of addiction is
1: connection. Yeah, yeah, that sounds familiar. (laughs) We (laughs) might spit that out every once in a while. Right, right. All right, Matt, and last, but certainly not least, can you give listeners your favorite, you might need to ditch the booze if line.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, I was looking forward to this one too. Um, yeah, so you might need to, uh, ditch the booze if, uh, your bandmates have nicknamed you crumple Stiltskin because by the end of the jam session, you're usually, uh, crumpled over in the corner. Cause you've had too much, uh, too much beer.
1: <laughs> you might need to ditch the booze. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's yeah. That checks out, Matt. Thank you so much, dude. Thank you for your time. I appreciate Thanks, you. That's yeah, great. man. Same. Great to have you awesome. on and we'll be in touch. Awesome. Thank you very much. Recovery Elevator, thanks for listening, and thank you, Matt, for coming on the show. You're going to help a lot of people today. Matt actually has a podcast and YouTube channel called Beyond Recovery. He was kind enough to have me on to share my story. When it drops, we'll make sure to post about it on our Instagram, so be on the lookout. Well, Ari, we're well into summer. Even here in North Dakota, we've been forced to turn on our air conditioners. I'm a big fan of summer. It's the shortest season up here, so we do our best to take advantage of it. For the next month, my family and I will basically be living at the big lake near our house. We'll be camping, boating, and we even have a couple nights planned where people are coming out for a barbecue. I am pumped and I'm ready to enjoy lake life. It wasn't that long ago though that the idea of all these summer plans terrified me. I'd never done any of these things sober, and let's be honest, a lot of summer events are used as a reason to drink. If you're feeling a bit of anxiety or nervousness around your summer plans, I want you to know that you're not alone. As we're developing new habits, it's normal to wonder what things are going to be like. I want you to give yourself some grace and be patient with yourself as you work through these things. There are a lot of ways that we can not just get through summer activities, but we can thrive in them. You can bring your own drinks. You can create accountability with people that you trust by letting them know that you're not drinking. You can try different activities to help create new habits. We can also set boundaries and opt out if we don't think it's the right place for us to be. Take your time if this is new to you. It's okay to go slow. I think a lot of us feel a bit weird as we're doing something completely different than we've ever done before. Finding a sober community and friends in recovery who have been through it was a great way for me to get ideas to help me stick to my goals. Connection is where it's at. And knowing that we've got someone in our corner can make all the difference. Recovery Elevator, it all starts from the inside out. I love you guys.